Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, Shorty Poon. This is episode 286. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Prez. That is at underscore Presidente on Twitter. Prez, how are you doing? I'm doing great because our Dallas Mavericks and my personal favorite athlete, Kyrie Irving, <laughs> willed their team to victory and brought us one game closer to getting that Sweet, sweet 11th draft pick in New York. Uh, that would be nice. It would be a very nice little little bonus trade chip from the uh, from the old Kristaps Porzingis trade. But uh, we do have a first-time guest on the pod. You can find him on Twitter at bowser to bowser He is a high school basketball coach in the New York City area. And he is a contributor over at Peachtree Hoops. And more importantly, he is a Cavs fan. Bowser, how you doing? Uh, really well, really well. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I feel fantastic about the status of my New York Knicks. I have enjoyed watching Emmanuel quickly be better at basketball than Malcolm Brogdon, who has no aura and gets no play at the club, unlike my boy Emmanuel quickly. Uh, but before we get started, we're going to talk about all that. Before we get started, I have to make a few announcements. The first being that The Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. Follow us on Instagram at thestrick.land. We're posting all kinds of new content on there, uh, especially with the playoffs coming up. The Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are, hit like and then subscribe to the channel if you have not subscribed yet. Finally, The Strickland has, well, not finally, but The Strickland also has merchandise. We've got new merchandise coming out. We dropped some Jalen Brunson merchandise the other day. We may have some merchandise coming out quickly, one might say, coming up soon. Uh, but the final announcement is that Strickland has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a $6 tier that gets you as- access to Pod Strickland. This podcast that I do every Friday with Prez, you also get access to the Strickland mailbag that comes out every other week, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. The Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Amico. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. And we are constantly figuring out what the Dallas Mavericks need to do to convey the optimal first-round pick to us. There are further tiers. There is a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the Knicks even more. You also get access to wonderful weekly premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There is a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, $100 tier. Those come with a variety of additional benefits, like listening on a pod recording, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly on day, whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So without further ado, let's talk about the fifth seed New York Knickerbockers. Who, it's kind of anticlimactic because they clinched it because Brooklyn lost to the Timberwolves. But in all honesty, I was happy with that. I was. It's nice to have three regular season games that literally do not matter. So when the Knicks play a fun game and they win like I, they did last night, it can be like, this is the most important thing ever. This seals Emmanuel Quickly's sixth man of the year case. This proves Quentin Grimes was an absolute stud, and this increases Obi Toppin's trade value. And if they'd all sucked, I would have been like, they probably went out last night, got fucked up celebrating. 
and none of this matters. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was a great little fun basketball game that meant absolutely nothing. And I look forward to the next two games they have remaining in their season that mean absolutely nothing. Prez, any thoughts on a very uneventful but fun game? Prez is not alive. That's great. Uh, Bowser. Well, my bad. I muted myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, nope. I just want to tell uh, people, Knicks fans, who earlier in the season called us various forms of devoid of talent that you were wrong. You should have listened to Prez. The end. Uh, no, jokes aside. That's I not think- a joke, though. That's actually real. That's a thing that <laughs> happened. It's a thing that happened. It was, it was kind of insane. Um it's one of those things where, like, nobody was saying back then, like, we weren't on this podcast saying that these guys are going to be, like, untradeable or anything like that. It's just that writing them off after we've seen the way this next team, both for better and worse, says, hey, guys, you're we're going to pick a role for you, and we want you to just master that role. And that always being, like, that's a gift on the one hand because it does help kind of focus development, but... If you got other shit that you want to show off that could be helpful, you might not get the chance to show that off early on. And it was just very clear with guys like Obi was like the clearest example because it's like, hey, like be a shooter now, like 12 threes per 100 and no role possessions, even though you were like the best role guy in like the history of mid-major schools or whatever, like. But even, you know, IQ and Grimes and, and Mitch, and it's literally true of everybody pretty much except RJ. And <laughs> just these guys are archetypes. Like, they're two-way players. They could all shoot, dribble, pass. Um, even Obi, like, everybody was like, oh, he's going to be a tire fire on defense. And he's just been like, meh, which is a huge win. And Turns out if you just run around a lot, you can get away with yeah. stuff. If you're run around and you have a seven foot two wingspan... Like, even if you make mistakes, you have a little margin for error. Like, it's so funny. Obi still has trouble sometimes with, like, helping the right distance away or whatever. But, like, teams always try to try him for, like, cross-tween, hezzy, midi isolations. And every time someone tries that, I'm like, yes, this is the one thing for some reason he's good at because he's just a large person in the way. And for some reason you think that's worth dealing with. I'm like, okay. Um, But, yeah, it was, like, it's just one of those games that's like fan fiction, right? Like, are you telling me the three fucking role players we love who we drafted all score like a bazillion points and hit five three-pointers? Like, that doesn't happen. But it happened, so I enjoyed it. I'm glad I watched that one live for once. I'll put it at that. Um, Bowser? Do I, I mean, I don't know if you watched... I hope you didn't watch the next game last night because it was literally not meaningful for anybody other than people that watch the Knicks or the Pacers, I guess. Other than New York Knicks draft writers. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> which is population. Me. But I'm curious, like, uh, so like last year, I know me and Prez, we talked about this a bunch at the end of last year, like players, you know, I mean, you're a coach. I'm sure you see this all the time. Players develop at like, it's not, it's not only is it not linear, it can also just happen in stages. And it's not like, Oh, I'm a sophomore. So now when I'm a junior, I'm going to be a better player. Mm-hmm. It's like, it can be like, oh, I'm a sophomore. And then junior year, I start off on the same player. And then maybe midway through that season, it's like something goes off and I take a step up. And like what we saw from quickly, at least, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for Presley. I, I can't speak for Presley's, whatever. He knows. We, we both talked about this like a billion times. Um, like after, especially after All-Star break last year, you know, you could just see like he hit a different gear. And it was like, 
yeah, the three-point shooting stuff with him has always been there, and it was nice to see that bounce back. But it was like, okay, the three-point shooting has bounced back, but he's leveraging that now into like more access into the paint, creating better shots for himself in the paint, creating better shots for other guys, having a better feel of just like how to run an offense, you know, literally how to organize sets and get guys in the right position. And when you see, like, when I saw that, I was like, okay, like, now you're combining the like awesome shot making stuff we saw from him as a rookie and at Kentucky, and you're tying that into like a level that's beyond that. And you're doing that. He's like 22 years old. I feel like this is a guy who's taken a leap and is probably undervalued generally by people, definitely even by most Knicks fans, I thought at that time, and just has a higher ceiling than I think we're giving him credit for. And we thought the same about Obi. Now, with Obi, we haven't had a chance to see that this year, just with his minutes. But I think with Quickly, because he's played so much, and with Grimes, who didn't play as much last year, but when we did see him play, we were both like, okay, he's at least a solid starter. Like, this guy is definitely a solid starter. I, I don't know how much Knicks you've watched, but you know, with those guys, like, do you feel like that they've even progressed from those, you know, that evaluation of them from last year? Yeah. I mean, I remember like a few months ago, there was a rumor that like quickly might be traded for a lot of protected first. And I was kind of like, is that serious? And I remember, so <laughs> Prez was talking about my, my friendship with my, with my old security guard at work, who's a huge Nick fan and thinks I'm a Nick fan. So can we talk to Nick so often? But I was, he was like asking me about these like trade rumors because he reads the paper and stuff. And I was like, if he is traded, hopefully they get a lot more than the first for him. And then I feel like I'm a prophet to this guy because he just quickly just got better and better and better. Um, as for Toppin, I'm, let's, uh, if we could just get rid of the trade deadline and trade him now after he got whatever 38 last night, scoring over Aaron Neesmith or whoever 6-5 power forward they were playing, the Pacers were playing against, uh, the Knicks. Uh, cause one thing with him, I, you guys probably, you guys probably know this well, but I call it the Cam Reddish effect. It's the <laughs> athletic player who makes good highlight reel plays, but gets burned for backdoor cuts all the time or over, over helps when he shouldn't over help or under helps when he should help. And it's like those players are often best when guarding one on one because they can be locked in and they're athletic, kind of as Preds was saying. The, um, but, I, even the last like two games, I rewatched the last two Cavs and Knicks games to prepare for this, and and it's just like you, don't go at him one on one, just make him be the tagger, and just make him make a mistake, and they'll just get like you'll get a layup or you'll get kicked out three every single time, because like I, I feel like he got really screwed over with those knee injuries because he just doesn't seem to be like moving back and forth, especially with like the Knicks um, with your guys like defensive scheme where you want to help and recover. He seems just like 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 kind of stuck in mud for a step or two which is the opposite of quickly. I think quickly has like gotten so much better at doing that, like nail Sutton recover stuff. And I'm just happy to see that. And then I think Grimes, I love Grimes for forever. I remember when he was at Kansas as a five-star recruit predicted one and done. And I, it might've actually been an MSG, but he like, his like first game is that it's like early season showcase game against like Michigan state. I want to say. He rolled out, I think. In that and, game, right? Yeah. He had like yeah. six threes or something. Yeah. And then he ended the season with like nine threes total. Like, like he, he made like two thirds of his threes in the first game because he wasn't that player. He wasn't that one and done, you know, um, guy who's going to score you 20 points. Then he goes to Houston and like, I've been rooting for him ever since because he found his own and he ended up at the Knicks and you guys just keep drafting or getting all these role players I love. So even though I'm not like a Knicks fan, I still, you know, watch a fair share of it and I watch liking these guys develop and, um, Except for Toppin, because he's the Cam Reddish effect. I had I had this 
when uh, Reddish got traded or before he got traded, I made this thread about his mistakes against his, I think career high in points was against Orlando Magic. But that same game, I went through every single Magic made bucket and it was like, like, like 80% of them were his fault. It was just like he got backdoor. He didn't help. It was like over and over again. And then like after the trade, I would get I would get tagged in some argument among the fans like week after week. They would be like, "Hey, <laughs> check out this thread. See, this guy's pointed out. He's not a good defender. He's not a good defender. He's not a good defender." So like, and once a week, I would get tagged in this thing, and I was like, "Guys, leave me out of it. I, I I don't have an opinion on the guy who's playing 15 minutes a night for the Knicks. I mean, I mean, I do have an opinion, but I." I haven't been following his career in the past. Nick's Twitter is like a black hole. Like, it doesn't think. It doesn't control what gets sucked into the vortex. You're just... Anybody can get it. And we apologize on behalf of them. Unless there are are arguments, in which case, you're welcome. Yeah, there's, like, people, like, Cranges, like, you know, uh, he like, the B-Ball Index guy. So he'll, like, you know, quickly always grades out really high in his thing. So, like, he'll always, like, they'll randomly, you know, they'll come out with, like, B-Ball Index tweets that'll, like, oh, like, look at Emmanuel quickly. He has these five, six, seven badges or whatever. And then you'll just see in like random Knicks arguments like like, oh, look at what like this guy said about quickly. And I'm like, dude, this it must suck to like not be a Knicks fan, but have like this reach where your tweets reach Nick's Twitter and then you just get involved in these like stupid arguments all the time. And you're like, can you just not tag me in this, please? Um but no, I mean I mean it's one of those good problems though. If you if you get so popular that other fan bases listen to you, it's like all right you can deal with the backlash of that. Like, there's a price to pay for success. I mean, hey, it's good for his business, I'm sure. But, no, yeah. I, the Cam thing is really funny because early in the season, he was in the rotation. He was actually getting minutes for the Knicks. And, yeah. like, you know, you're watching it, and, like, he did have some nice, like, bright spots or whatever. But, like, what, yeah. by the time he got dropped from the rotation, like, I, I thought he should have gotten a chance with that, like, younger rotation they went with over Deuce initially. But at the same time, I kind of was just like, Look, the Knicks have sucked at point of attack defense this entire year. Deuce is good at that. Him and Quickly were awesome last year when they got minutes together. Let's just, like, there's reasons to, to make this decision. I don't think it's crazy. Let's see what happens. They obviously took a huge step after that point. Um, but, like, during All-Star break, I went back, and I just watched a lot of these early season games because I was like, you know, let me just, I'm bored. Let me just check some shit out. And it was, like, even in games they had won during that stretch, like, it was exactly what you're talking about. Because I'm, like, watching it, I'm like, what the fuck is Cam doing here? Like, where yeah. is he? Like, why is he never close to his man? How does he? How did he finish this game with two rebounds in 37 minutes? Like, I don't understand what he's doing. He's just... And, like, I, I get what you're saying with Obi. Like, the difference to me with Obi, honestly, is, like, he'll fuck up like that. I just think there's way more effort. Like, it, it's the same, like... It's the same mistakes that he, he makes. He cares more. Yeah, he cares a lot more. And that, like, yeah. honestly, that one, for me, that always will buy you more leeway because it's... And more playing time. <laughs> yeah, well, that's for sure. I mean, well, not, not, I'm not... So that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, but, like, yeah, like, it, it buys me more, like, you know, at least I see that, like, you recognize your errors, and when you're on the floor, you're at least trying to correct them. Like, with Cam, it's just like, oh, that guy's open from three. That sucks. And I'm like, what if you... you're Got a seven foot wingspan. What if you, maybe no, no, no. Maybe try. <laughs> yeah, he. So my flip side is like sometimes caring. I don't think you're doing this, but there's a thing where like sometimes caring is this like like oh, but he tried very hard. Yeah, and, yeah. and it'd be like someone's a bad defender, and there's like this line for Christmas vacation, and it's like he tried very hard, Grandpa. 
And then the grandpa says, so do washing machines. Where it's just like <laughs> trying hard and doing good defense are not the same thing. Yeah. And so there's the flip side of it is like, but, but what if I can fix Cam Reddish? What if I can get him to care? You know, like, sure, T- Tibbs and Lloyd Pierce and Coach K didn't, weren't able to get him to care, but what if I did, you know? Um, coaches, we are not a very humble bunch. And we always, you know, like, hmm, but what if it, it might work for us if we got camera? And, and I think he's a great athlete, and I want him to put it all together. He's still super young. Um, I just got very frustrated watching a lot of Atlanta games with him. And at first, the kind of the closer I looked, the worse it got. Um, sort of like a Monet painting. Well, I mean, I think I think we'll, <laughs> that's that's a good one. Uh, well, like, yeah, I Prez can talk about this, but like the thing that was really frustrating with him was like he. They had like when he bought into the role that he they like Tibbs was like you can play this role for me like this is the role we want you to play when he did that he was like all of a sudden his efficiency goes up you know like even when he wasn't scoring well from three he's getting to the line a bunch he's and he's he he improved a lot at least in New York as a finisher and then it was like Grimes gets the starts over him and immediately the next like three or four games were just awful <coughs> and you can just see him veering into like. All of yeah. the negative stuff, and I mean, Price can talk about this better than I can. Where it was just like, dude, what? Like, do you want to develop, or do you just want to like be what you want to be? It's present, uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. It's it's tough. It's tough on this Knicks team. That's the thing. Like, it's you. You don't. You don't get. There's so much talent in the NBA right now that like that combined with you, so you always will have to compete. Like I was talking about this with somebody about the upcoming NBA draft and like guard prospects. Like what teams have guard minutes available? For example, there's like it's like the Spurs and the Wizards, and even on the Wizards, it's like okay, 19 year old, go beat out Monty Morris, who's like a point guard on a team in the second round of the playoffs, right? Like who's not a bum? So it's just. A lot of that stuff is out of the player's control. And, like, with Obi, his three-point percentage isn't good, but, like, he's done as well as you can reasonably expect to, like, buy in on offense and defense and perform admirably. It's just this this is not, like, you, your mileage is only going to go so far. Well, it's in this yeah, he has to He has to take minutes from Julius and for a variety of reasons. That's just not going to happen this year, um, or or probably at any point if he stays in New York. I mean, I do think it's worth mentioning. Like to me, and we again, we've talked about this a bunch. Like he's just so obviously a player to me that perform. Like the difference between him as a starter versus him as a bench player when he like knows he's going to play thirty minutes a night is so different. Like this, these are just I'm just reading off his averages. Okay. He's started started 13 games in his career. None of these are exactly high leverage games or whatever, but this is just what they are. 34 minutes, 58.4% from the field, 44.2% from three, 70.6 true shooting, 20.6 usage. Like, again, like, I don't know what to make of that because the sample is that small. I mean, what, Aaron Nesmith shot 55% or whatever from three on, like, in 13 games in college, and everybody's like, he's the greatest shooter ever. So I understand, like... Not Prez. Yeah, not Prez. <laughs> not Prez. But, like, like I just... To me, it's just, like, it's really frustrating where it's, like, you've had this guy for three years, and because Randall is made of iron, and because Tibbs just, like, won't... You know, and I, yeah, I'm i not, I'm not even criticizing for it at this point, but, like, 
just because Tibbs is the way he is, you just never really like this is the first chance you're getting at an extended run with him as a starter, which is five meaningless games at the end of the season. It's just like whatever, you know, it's kind of a the, frustrating thing. The yeah. thing for sorry, go ahead. So like one of I agree with what you're saying, one of the pushbacks about that is that like it's like first off, you know, don't don't draft shirt fit. But second off, as like a caveat or whatever, um, if you have a player who can only play one position, don't use yeah. your ninth pick on a player who can only play one position. Like it doesn't like, like if you have the one caveat is like if you have a guy who can only play center and he's going to play thirty eight minutes a night, don't draft a guy who can only play center because he only has ten available minutes a night. Yeah. And so like Toppin sort of stuck behind Randall and and like if if they if one of them had more positional versatility, great. But like. Even if Toppin, you know, takes a leap, unless he gets better, unless he takes away minutes from Randall, who's he, he's taking minutes away from, you know, Josh Hart as a backup four. Right. And, like, it shouldn't be hard to do to take away minutes from power forward from a 6'4 guy, but, you know, I love Josh Hart, so good pre- luck. Well, pre- pre- we've got the whole use him on the wing theory going on over here. Well, Obi, it's just, it's less about Obi and more like, I think if you told Randall, like, lock in and defend some other small forward. That's like the one one of the things where Randall's like wildly. If you just like do perimeter star one on one mano y mano defense, like he's decent at that. But Tibbs is not going to experiment that way anyway. Which you know, whatever I understand. It, it's one of those things where it, it's really bad circumstance. Just that, like when they got Obi, the plant Randall wasn't like the long term fulcrum that he is now. So sure. it was just a a tough a tough pill to swallow and the bet with Obi as a prospect was pretty much, you know, it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle in terms of both defense and positional versatility. Cause he is kind of like, he's too plotting to really be like a wing wing, but he's not big enough to be a center. You just hope that his offense is so crazy that it outweighs that. And the numbers of him starting which are largely playing with quickly and other up and down the court kind of guys and not the plotting Tibbs ball shows there's like a timeline. Some like, I'm just throwing them out there, but like say the Pacers trade for him, right? The Pacers were interested in him. They're a rebuilding team. Nobody on that team plays any fucking defense right now. Obi probably not helping that very, who? (laughs) Nemhard. I love Nemhard. He's one of their guards. Nemhard. Shout out Nemhard and, uh, Isaiah Jackson, I still got my stock on Isaiah yeah. Jackson Island. Yeah, well, Gr- even though he was, Grimes, he was getting fucking worked yesterday. Grimes, Grimes <laughs> put him on a poster yesterday. Grimes, Mitch, everybody was giving like Grimes was like nine of ten at the rim yesterday. There was like nobody could stop him there. But um, no, like then all of a sudden you just have a guy who like is gonna be an elite transition scorer, somebody who can actually really shoot it from the four spot, like on high volume, somebody who can get roll man reps. Somebody who can actually do connective passing as well. Somebody who can hit their free throws and who can, you know, he's not going to cross between Hezzy or anything, but he, he can put it on the deck and attack closeouts and bend defenses. So, like, the potential for some guy who doesn't have to be your top two in usage, but is your top in, like, points per game or your second in points per game or even your third, but, like, on some stupid TS that's like approaching seventy or something and, like and that, and it's just low usage. Like John, yeah, the John Collins role before Capella got there to Atlanta, yeah. where it's like if yeah. you have it, like 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 Indiana, 
not a bad place for him because you have Turner space in the floor. Mm-hmm. He can like that's probably the reason he can't get his roll reps is that you know yeah. Mitchell Robinson's at the dunker spot, and then unless yep. you trust their interior passing, that's kind of risky nowadays. It's a lot easier just to go four out spacing and and give all your pick and roll reps to your center. Yeah, I'm telling you, man. Indiana, like they get up and down. They have great passers already. Obviously, Halliburton is does his thing. They run and gun as much as anybody in the fucking league. Like, as far as like we want to buy low, and even if he's not in your long term plans, like his value would just skyrocket off the back of the trading card statistics alone. Like it would be crazy. Mm-hmm. And there's no one blocking the spot. With apologies to. Uh, the reformed, newly slightly effective Aaron Neesmith. Oh man, Neesmith, uh, he's he he's like defending now, which is kind of cool. But he's also like not good at he defense. Got fucking jacked, bro. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. He's, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of happy seeing him. Yeah, fine, fine. Me too. I, yeah. I thought I, I'm 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 happy about it too because he's not in Boston anymore, so it's great. Exactly. It's wonderful yeah, yeah. when that happens. Makes um, it easier. But no, but like <laughs> I actually, uh, it was pretty interesting. Rick Carlisle, after the game, he did obviously did his post game, and after the post game, he had a pretty interesting quote where he was talking about like, I got he got asked like, you know, is it a good experience for you know your young guys basically like this end of the stretch season and you know whatever you know playing against a team like New York, and he was talking about how like he was like you know the Knicks like that lineup we played today like you know those guys are young, but they've been in the league now for a while and they he's kind of just commenting on like the fact that they're good. And he was just saying like, they are young, but they play like a veteran group because they've kind of come through this stuff. And I thought that was a pretty interesting way of putting it. And like, you could tell also that Carlisle was like, I wish my young guys played like vets. Like you could tell he's just like been through the wars this year. Um, but like, but he, I just thought it was a really interesting quote. And like, I don't. I don't know if I feel that way about Obi because I feel like Obi is its own. It's like I don't even want to like that's its own thing. But with like quickly and Grimes, I definitely do feel that because they just contribute so heavily already. I think to winning to like you know I hate saying this to winning basketball, but like you know we can kind of use this to transition into you know you are here obviously. Uh, we can talk a little bit about the Cavs series coming up here, but like they like those are two guys that to me in that series are like key components to the whatever chances the Knicks have of winning because not only have they been good defensively this year uh but like especially in Grimes very much recently so both are very important to them offensively um and and it's just like an interesting series in the sense of the Knicks advantage is like they have seven eight maybe nine guys they can go to they can throw out different looks but like Cleveland's got a fastball Right, like Cleveland's just like we got these four guys, and they're awesome, and you guys figure it out. Like, and, and I just find I just think it's an int- it's like a fascinating series in that sense where it's like, I think there was this weird argument some they were that was going on on Twitter yesterday of like which team has a brighter future, and it's like there's this whole thing where it's like, well, Cleveland we have a superstar and therefore our future is better, and it's like the Knicks fans are like, well, we have depth and we like we have all our picks and assets. And it's like, that stuff is actually why I think this series is so compelling. Uh, on top of, obviously, the Donovan Mitchell part of it all. But, like, it's just a really fascinating series to me. And I'm I, I, actually, those two guys in particular, along with Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle, like, I kind of know what Jalen Brunson's going to give me in the playoffs. And I'm a little bit resigned to what R.J. Barrett's going to give me based on how he's played this year. 
Um, Josh Hart, I think, will do Josh Hart things. But I think those four guys are really curious to see how they respond to playoff basketball and also to the specific basketball in a way. The other thing that's fascinating that I wanted to um, talk to you about, Bowser, is like just in terms of styles of the teams, obviously, like Darius and Donnie can put up and make mm-hmm. threes with the best of them, but like Evan and Allen is just, they're just beasts on the inside, and the Knicks depend wholly on grifting in the paint for scoring a lot of points. Like, it's like we're going to draw a bunch of arguably very cheap fouls. Randall's going to be a bowling ball. Anytime you put your hands below your heart, everybody on the Knicks is going to swing their arms directly up in front of them in, while the ref is looking. We're going to get like a zillion offensive rebounds with Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein, both who are top 10 in offensive rebound rate and literally number one and two in box out in the NBA box outs. But like in theory, this is the, the Cavs are the team best equipped to absorb a lot of that grifting <laughs> so i'm like this like this very well may just like not work <laughs> that one special trick may not work <laughs> you're saying the cast trick won't work or the next no trick? the next trick <laughs> I, I would push back on that only because i think so much of their grifting also comes from the fact that like they are the best like they're the best or second best offensive rebounding team in the league and if you get that many extra possessions and you're in the paint that often, like you're going to draw fouls. It's just it doesn't matter yeah, if it's playing. The math works. The math works. They and their shot chart is clean. Um so like and this is the way it works, right? Like variance is so important. If you're taking higher value shots, you're giving yourself an automatically better chance. Like all the Knicks need to do is get hot in a couple of games, right? From three, like to sneak those games. And then you're talking about and, and I know that and I'm actually curious to get your thoughts on this. I'm going to double-check this, but I think Cleveland has been the worst defensive rebounding team in the league since the All-Star break. Um, you know why? Allen's missed a bunch of time, right? I'm assuming. Right, but also uh, around that same time, uh, Kevin Love got dropped from the rotation, and now he's on Miami. So, so like, even even if Allie's, Allie, Allen's fully healthy, you know, <laughs> if, you have, if you have Mobley and Allen fully healthy and they're doing 38 minutes a night, that's still 20 minutes a night where there's only one of them playing. And right now, all of their power forwards are like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, or like right. skinny, like Osmond's like 6'8", but he's kind of skinny 6'8". Like Dean Wade's been injured. He's kind of he's got a bit more size. Um, he doesn't look right to me yet, by the way, Dean Wade. I like really he, yeah, he, he enjoyed him last he year. A, he just does not moving as well right now. And he started off the year great. Yeah. He's, um, uh, he hasn't looked right injuries, so hopefully it's just a temporary thing. Um, but like he he's good enough only... to lock up RJ Barrett for a possession, <laughs> punch his shot. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that was nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what happens a lot of times with Cleveland, I've watched this all year, is that like you know Mobley will rotate over and will you know block or contest a layup or whatever, and then like Mitchell Robinson, Hartenstein, whoever gets the putback, because like a lot of Kobe assists because you know Karis LeVert's playing power forward, and he's trying to box out Mitchell Robinson, which is not going to be a fun time unless your name is Mitchell Robinson, and so. You know, I think the Knicks are number one in offensive rebound percentage since then, and, and like number three in defense. So good on both sides. And then conversely, I think I think Cavs are 29th, but like way bottom. And so that's something where it's like, well, I hope they can lock in and box out because otherwise, yeah, it's like the two things I'm worried about besides the players. But like the two more team wide things are Nick offensive rebounding and then Nick three point shooting because you know a lot of the scheme is. <laughs> Like like Mobley helping recover 
And so when Mo- when Randall goes six for eight or seven for eight on those like kind of contested late clock threes, the scheme breaks down. You kind of gamble that it's not going to happen enough. But like I'm looking at Cleveland's um, game log sorted by opponent three point percentage, and so like when opponents shoot forty three point six percent or higher, Cleveland's like two of eighteen or two of twenty, whatever this is. And then sure enough, it's like win 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 all the way down, all the way down to that one. New York, the ugly New York State game where I'm convinced both the Cavs and I, I think they like went out 80, together. Right 85 before. or whatever. It was 92 to 81. It was like, it was like combined like like four of 400 from three for both teams. It was just the, well, like, I was, that was also the game where they decided to call like 10 carries. That's right. That yeah. was a part of the emphasis game. Yes. Oh my gosh. I forgot about that part. Yeah. So yeah that's think, a really good point though about the rebounding. Like, cause like, yeah, like, Mitch, the good thing is Mitch pretty much automatically occupies one full big man. Mm-hmm. So, like, so if you only have one Mobley, out there. right? If Mobley yeah. is, if Mobley and Allen are out there, one of them will be on Mitch. And but that's what's so scary. It's like, all right, so the Knicks versus one of those guys at the rim, that's still and, not a bad bet <laughs> for for the, Cleveland. The, other, the flip side of it that I love for for New York is is. Uh, when Hartenstein's out doing top of the key playmaking, and if Mobley's on him, if you know if they're not playing two bigs, that's when all yeah. those backdoor cuts were open. If you guys remember that, so like like in the second half of that game, um, Hartenstein was getting all these backdoor cutters because you know Mobley would be on him, or the halftime adjustment was to because nobody could guard Brunson, so they started switching all the ball screens and have Mobley on Brunson, and then when Mobley's on Brunson, it slowed down Brunson in the second half. But there was no secondary rim protection. So, like, it's too late to change it this year. But Cleveland needs to find a third big of some sort. Someone who can shoot threes and block the rim just like everyone else. Just like the player that every other team wants as well. But, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, that's not an easy task. But, like, it's hard having Karis LeVert be your power forward and expecting, you know, hey, why don't you box on Mr. Robinson better? It's like, well, because he's Mr. Robinson. Yeah, because he weighs forty five pounds yeah. more. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's you could see that, especially in that game. And like, this is the thing. That I find really like, I just honest question like, is Allen is more is Allen more important to your defense than Mobley is right now? I don't think so because my take on it is it's kind of complicated because it's like if you if you're like big in the impact metrics, I, I haven't looked at them in a while, but Allen Allen plays a role that's easy to have a bigger impact. Does that make so it's so it's like if you put it over the NFL terms. Like a quarterback's gonna have a bigger impact than a wide receiver, right, or whatever. Um, but like, if you replace Allen with like a the fifteenth best center of the league, or if you replace Mobley with the fifteenth best power forward of the league, I think there'd be a bigger drop off if you got rid of Mobley because it's one thing to have Allen protect the rim, but you know, letting Mobley be all versatile, he's kind of like the Anthony Davis, where it's like. It's like, you want him to switch out in the Brunson? Great. If you want him to do, like, it's kind of like that, back to that, who, I don't remember which one we had the fastball metaphor earlier. Like, Allen's got the fastball. Mm-hmm. He can do drop coverage. He can move his feet a little bit, but you don't want him switching out too much. Mobley mm-hmm. can do any of them. And so, if you can get a center to go with Mobley, uh, this team has a higher ceiling. Now, Allen might have, you know, the higher impact metrics, but just the same way that, like, I don't know, a starting pitcher has higher impact metrics than their. It's just like different positions, right? Some positions yeah, are easier right. to have a higher impact, you know. Well, c- centers um, will always like a true a true five is always going to have a higher yeah. defensive impact, especially in the regular yeah. season, than like 
the switchable versatile defender. That's just the nature of like and, how it works. Yeah, and, and Mobley's like too skinny to be a full time center now. So he'll play some center, but right. it's, it's like Giannis is also better as a power forward than as a center, you know? Right. So it's so it's also Allen's better at that role. Mobley's better at his role, but Allen's role is easier to find a you know decent replacement for. So I think I think Allen will have all the metrics, but the but except for some weird shooting variants, um, it's Mobley's yeah. Yeah, we've seen that with AD and with Giannis, right? Like, there's always fans who are like, "Why don't the, this team just go small and go yeah, be going unstoppable?" So that's like, well, and I think small that, with the air quotes because like AD and Giannis no, are not small. It, but it, it was also it was also like that shit worked in like 2015 when there were like yeah, three, yeah, there like, <laughs> like three or there was like three there was because we're it, way past actually, that, buddy. Yeah, it was it, it was such a crazy thing where it was like if you go back and look at these drafts, right? There were like what was AD? Was AD 2009? 13. Oh, was he in the two? Jesus, fourteen. I want to say. Um, well, I was way off. Um, Thirteen. Was, I, I'll, I'll look it up. But yeah, but like, whatever it was, there was like this gap. I mean, between when he got picked and then before that, it was like Cousins, and it was like and Cousins. <laughs> yeah, and it was like there's this gap for like four or five years where there's just like no, like there's just no stud big guys coming in. It's like one of them is like Vooch. You're like okay, like I like Vooch too, but come on, like what are we talking about here? Um, and then like after that point is when you started getting the aliens. Like, it's like aliens started coming to the league, where it's like, first we were like, oh, Cat and KP, they're going to change the league. And then it was like, actually, Giannis is going to change the league. And then you're going to find out about this guy, Nikola Jokic. And then you're going to get all these fucking seven-foot guys that can do all of these things. And they, and it's not just one every year. Now you're getting like two. You're getting three. And it's every single season. And now the league is not small anymore. And if you think the league is still small and you're still trying to do small ball, you don't know what you're doing. The only team that can kind of get away with small ball still is like the Warriors when they're fully healthy, and that's just because Draymond is fucking insane. Like, and even then, they play Looney a ton for a reason. Like, they can't, they know that, that you have to have size. Um, anyway, that's my tangent. I've always hated the small ball thing, and I always thought it was just like a temporary talent follows, like, the league follows talent. It doesn't work the other way around. Um, you can't out scheme talent. So it was always going to come back this way. Uh, but no, I, I, I was going to say, like, in that last matchup, it really stood out that, like, I love Mobley. I thought I think it's insane that Houston passed on him. Um, so congrats to you. Um, but, like, <laughs> but, like... I'd love to do that, by the way. <laughs> that was all you. Um, but, but, like, you could see that Mitch is just, like, towering over him at this point. And you're like, yeah, like this. This is not the matchup for Mobley right now, and I think the Knicks absolutely destroyed them in the glass that game. It was like a fifteen rebound discrepancy or something. Um, yeah, but like, it's it's just a really and, and actually, I think this year it's funny because last year Randall was having a terrible season, and I remember he tried to do a lot of stupid things to Evan Mobley early in that season, and Mobley was just like, a lot of people did. <laughs> yeah, he was just like, are you, I can block any step back jumper you take. So that's cool. Um, and then this year, Randall has come back as a man possessed. And he was just like, I'm gigantic and jacked. And I'm going to make you feel that every single time we play. And he like, I don't know how, how well he shot from the field. I don't know, but I, I remember watching the, probably the might've been the, it was the third time they played the second time they played at the garden. He was like, just in the paint, just, making both Mobley and Allen feel him constantly. And I just think, like, there's something to the physicality of this Knicks team that I think is, I don't want to say off-putting or, like, that the Cavs are soft, but I do think it's a tough matchup for the Cavs in a certain way 
um, when you like just look at the physicality of the teams. And it's not just well, Cavs. Like, are you of, talking about, sorry, talking about the, the January game? Might have been, yeah. Okay, in the January game against Cleveland, Randall went three for nine from two point range. Yeah. How many rebounds did he have in that game, though? Because I remember that being like a monster. Uh, Thirteen rebounds. Yeah, I just remember him like, I, I, it was like that's what I mean. Like it wasn't to me about what he shot inside. Or okay, yeah, yeah. It was just like the physicality of that game and how he played. Um, and I just think like there is like, and uh, it's not just the cab. It's not just like uh, so, uh, in general. Yeah, it's like there's like multiple post games where the coach after the game is just like. They're fucking physical. Mitch is a problem on the boards. Like, yeah, it's and it's just like there is something to this team just being, and even like Brunson, right? Like Brunson's a physical guard. Like he's yeah, he's he's sturdy. Yeah, he's sturdy and like sturdy six yeah. one guy. And then you and then we this is what all the Knicks yeah. do. And then you add it fucking run Hart. around and run into people. Like you added like Josh Hart in that last game against. Like I didn't think Grimes actually did a bad job on Donovan Mitchell to start that game. Donovan Mitchell was just like he was on it. Like I haven't seen him that sharp. Like that, where he was just like every step back wasn't just a step back. He was getting like five feet of separation. I'm like, okay, well, there's not much you could do to that. Uh, but like Josh Hart comes in that game and he just changes like the feel of it. And you could sense like he's getting into Mitchell, right? He's like making it annoying for him. He's like poking the ball away. He's borderline dirty. Yeah, he's like poking the ball away. And Mitchell has to do annoying. Very Villanova wing. Yeah. And I just think like that to me is kind of, I think how the Cavs handle that. Is might be the single biggest swing factor, like in terms of just like comparing them as teams. Because if the Knicks can't out physical them and out tough them, I think the top end talent probably wins out. Like that's just kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, because because as you, I mean, I was being contrarian just to be contrarian, apparently. But like, I remember those rebounds. It was a lot of like like helping the helper. Randall would out muscle Levert. Now if they have more height, if they got Dean Wade right. in there, whatever, you know, hopefully the helping the helper guy is a little bit sturdier. But if he's not, then like like he's <laughs> Cleveland's really gotta buckle down. I mean like like Mitchell and the core will small but but strong, but they have a lot of kind of skinny guys on that team. Well, that's the thing about the about the Knicks rebounding is like it with Okoro to use Okoro and Dean Wade right as examples. Okoro is shorter, but he's very strong and athletic. And Dean Wade is what is he like six nine? Six nine. Yeah. Has, have they been using? Yeah. Have they been doing the 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 jumbo ball stuff with him at the three this year too? The Superman stuff. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. No, not really. I think I've seen it like once this season. What if that's a physicality? Um, on. Yeah, it might be. Might be. It, no, it's a hurt. lack of. It's a lack of. Um. So what they would do is they would have the one two two zone right. and Mobley be up be up top but the, the 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 two on the baseline would be Allen and and marking it and marking you know you have two right. seven footers you can do that you know if you put you know Laverne or Coro River at that in that small forward spot you can't do that anymore so they tried it with Dean Wade but then he got in, he's been injured so much I think that's I remember like one possession like maybe there was a few but I, I went looking for it a few months ago and I just saw barely any and you just and it's the same reason like Mobley's kind of been switching a little bit less it seems like sometimes partially because they don't have marketing back there and they don't have, not just for zone reasons, but also like, like marketing would, would let them scram switch a lot. Like, you know, if Garland's mm-hmm. switched on to Randall or whoever, then him and marketing can scram switch off the ball. And all of a sudden Randall doesn't have like a size advantage down low, not only for points, but also for offensive rebounds as we're talking about. So until they get, I've been like praying for uh, Cleveland to get a sort of cheaper marketing or like a whatever, 
uh, not cheaper, but yeah, cheaper, but like the, a, a more defensive minded version of marketing, just like a, a, a power forward defender who could slide down to small forward to slide up to secondary rim protector. Um, and I was hoping, I was hoping to get that Dorian Finney Smith Levert trade going. Um, especially, especially after that first Kyrie trade, where it's like, all right. Brooklyn, you need another secondary <laughs> ball handler. We've got one. Um, and then Brooklyn was like, no, no ball like, handlers, yeah. only wings. Yeah, um, only wings. <laughs> wings and Spencer Dinwiddie, that's their roster. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.